Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Breaking news, WABC. Well, I'm back. That's the breaking news. That but, is big news. But uh, <laughs> big news on Fox today. They settled the case, and it looked like uh, everybody was going to settle because on Friday, uh, I believe the judge says he's uh, he's not pushing the uh, the situation at that point. Yep. So, and by the way, the trial was supposed to start today. And he was admonishing, just as you said, Fox. And this is a whopping settlement, John. And everybody, as you're tuning in here on Cuts and Crosby, $787.5 million, Fox settling to Dominion Voting Systems to settle that defamation lawsuit over false claims that Dominion's uh, machine swayed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. That's a big deal. Wow. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. But. If anybody can afford it, Fox can. Yeah, they are doing great. They are doing great. That is a huge, by the way, they were looking for 1.6 billion. So it looks like they kind of basically split the amount, uh, and settled at half, but Dominion was seeking 1.6 billion dollars. Um, and joining us now, by the way, we got Professor Alan Dershowitz. Well, in the studio too, we have Judge Weinberg. We got the great Judge and, Weinberg. Uh, Craig Eaton. They're both attorneys and I'd like to see what they're going to say, but most important, We've got Professor Dershowitz. We got an all-star show, everybody here. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, great to have you here. What is your reaction to this big breaking news? I have no idea why Fox settled for that amount. They would have won this case on appeal. They would not have had to pay a single penny, and they would have probably gotten attorney's fees from the other side. There's something we don't know here. This was a slam dunk case for appellate review by the Supreme Court for two reasons. Number one, the judge erroneously made findings of fact that the judges are not allowed to make under the Seventh Amendment. The judge decided that three bill, three, uh, uh, 30, that how many million now? 30 million, 40 million Americans were wrong when they said that the election was not proper. Now, I think the election was proper. But that's not up to a judge to decide. That's up to a jury to decide. The judge took away the most important defenses that Fox had in a jury trial, namely their argument that, you know, people believed that this was uh, a fake election. I don't believe that. And the judge, I'm sure, didn't believe it. And some people at Fox didn't believe it. But a lot of Americans believe it. And so the idea that the judge could take that issue away from the jury and decided himself, without hearing expert evidence, by the way, as to the machines, because the company wouldn't allow any experts to examine their algorithms or their mechanisms of the machine, and also the issue of, um, of malice, the issue of recklessness, is something that the jury could easily have ruled for Fox on. And if they hadn't ruled for Fox, the Supreme Court, there are already two justices who have announced that they would abolish the concept, the requirement of malice when you sue, uh, when a public figure sues. So this makes no rational sense. There must be something else at stake. But rationally, from a lawyer's point of view, the settlement makes I, I think, you're, no Professor Dershowitz, I think you're making more breaking news than uh, the breaking news. Yeah, really. Yeah. That's amazing. That's big stuff. 
I, th- well, I think, uh, look, I think Professor. Years, I've been doing this 60 years. I wouldn't settle this case for, for, for. No, Professor, uh, you know why nobody dollars. sues me? Because I never settled. Yeah. <laughs> he, he fights with everybody. He takes it to the end. Yes. That's you. I mean, I, I never settle. I, I agree with you 100%. But uh, I understand it was a matter, um, and I don't know for facts, but I heard just rumors that, that they did um, say some wrong things and, and, and uh, they just wanted to settle. And that's one of the things that's coming out in the last few minutes, everybody, um, that Fox is saying that there were some statements that were not correct. They're acknowledging that, I think, as part of the settlement. Uh, judge Weinberg, you want to chime well, in here? No, I think Professor Dershowitz is absolutely right. The judge went beyond the scope of uh, his authority by taking fact questions away. That's not the judge's role. The judge's role is to, to rule on the legal issues. And also the professor is also correct by taking away defenses. That's a problem. And they would have had this a very good Delaware. appeal. This is Delaware. I would rather argue a case in China than argue it in Delaware. I've argued cases in Delaware. There is no more corrupt legal system than Delaware. You know, Delaware gets all these cases because people decide to put their corporations in Delaware. But Delaware has a closed legal system. Um all the judges, not all, but most of them, worked for two or three major, major firms. Then when they finish their judgeship, they go back to those major firms. Everybody knows that if you want to litigate a case in Delaware, you have to take into account what's called home cooking. They will give tremendous advantages to local lawyers who uh, were either law clerks to the judges or were the judges. And uh, a lot of cases in Delaware are settled precisely because people know they can't get a fair shot at justice in Delaware. I would recommend no corporation ever, ever incorporate in Delaware. Florida, Nevada are just as good from a tax point of view, and their legal systems are far, far superior. And we got Craig Eaton, of course, the former Brooklyn GOP chairman's got a question for you. Professor, I agree with you 100%. This is such a mistake to settle for $787.5 million. I mean, that number is ridiculous, and it's also setting a precedent. It's setting a yeah. precedent, but there's got to be something we're missing here. There's got to be something they have that we don't know yeah. about in order to agree to settle. I am stunned. Well, I worked for all, Fox for no... 10 years. I am stunned that Murdoch yeah. did this. I, I agree. There are no damages. What are the damages? Yeah. Dominion comes out of this thing smelling like a rose. They're going to get more and more business. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they could have proved $100 worth of damages here. The damages so, would be look, to the candidates. It wouldn't be to Dominion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and, and remember, too, that there's no such thing as Fox. There were people in Fox who said things that turned out to be untrue, but there were also guests who said it, and it raises it raised fundamental questions. Remember, if this were a social uh, network platform, they would be exempt under Section 230. They couldn't be sued. It's that the media is divided in two. The most important media today, which are the social media, the Internet, can't be sued for defamation. But Fox and you and CNN, they can be sued for defamation. But if they are sued for defamation by public figures, they have to prove actual malice. And you're absolutely right. There's something we don't know because the lawyers for Fox are very good. I know the general counsel for Fox. He's an excellent lawyer. And the idea that they would settle this case and throw in the towel for this amount of money when there was no way they could have proved actual damages is to me just shocking.
Yeah, really amazing. So you brought up, you know, it's interesting. I want to bring up the thought also, and we were talking about this earlier, the fact President Trump, if you ask President Trump today, he would say that he feels the election stolen. He would also, you know, say all this. Does that also, in a way, help their case? Because just like you said, there are a number of people still saying it, Professor Dershowitz. I think we I think that Fox could have won this case in front of the jury. All they had to do was introduce testimony if the judge would let them. But this judge has already decided the case before he ever called the jury. Judge would let them say, look, millions of Americans believe this. Don't you think they're entitled to have a spokesperson on Fox express their points of view? Let others express other points of view. And that's how the marketplace of ideas uh, operates. Justice Rehnquist once wrote an opinion saying under the First Amendment, there's no such thing as a false idea. Uh, now, you know, this is not an idea. This is a statement of fact. But the First Amendment is supposed to create a marketplace of ideas where you correct falsehoods by creating um, by creating truth. I'm standing in front of right now a handwritten letter by Thomas Jefferson, who uh, wrote it on the 25th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, which he wrote. We have nothing to fear from the demonstrable mistakes of others as long as others are free to demonstrate their errors. And that's what the First Amendment was supposed to be about, that truth is supposed to emerge from the marketplace of ideas, not from some judge sitting in his chambers saying, I've looked at the evidence and I think the election was fair. Judge Weinberg, you got a question. Alan, don't you think this is going to have a chilling effect on uh, broadcasters? I was just about to ask, what are the repercussions for the media? It already has. Uh, It already has. I know for a fact that there have been statements and programs by legitimate people who have not been allowed to air because of the fear of a Dominion-type lawsuit. I know that for a fact, and if I were put under oath, I could testify precisely to it. I'm not free to disclose it. Professor Dershowitz, you can say anything you want on WABC. (laughs) We tell it the way it is. That's absolutely right. We put everybody out there. Believe me, I know for a fact that people have been kept off the air for fear of a Dominion-type lawsuit. People who had something very legitimate to say, and the American public has been deprived of those voices for fear. And this fear is going to spread now because every network is going to say, oh, my God, three quarters of a billion dollars. It's not worth it. And we're not going to do it. And the American people and an honest debate on important issues are going to be chilled. And it's a great loss for our country, I believe. Today was a very bad day for the First Amendment. Wow. Very powerful. Well, Professor Alan Dershowitz, We are so thrilled to have you here on the show. What an important topic, saying that Fox would have won on appeal and they should not have settled. Uh, Wow. Big, big breaking news, John. Yes, it was. Thank you, Professor Dershowitz. Whenever you you. want to tell the truth, you're always welcome on WABC. I I know that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's take a break. And when we come back. We got uh, Ryan's Priebus. Ryan's Priebus, uh, who was the chairman for a long time for, w- for, for the Republican. RNC. Yeah, the RNC, and also is the uh, chairman of uh, the Milwaukee Convention. He's in the thick of it all, and we're going to talk about the presidential race, some big news there. You definitely want to stay tuned for that. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And joining us now on Cats and Cosby is Reince Priebus. Of course, he was a former White House Chief of Staff for President Donald Trump and served as the chairman of the Republican National Committee. Reince, it is so great to have you here on the show. Um, hey, I'm excited to be on with you and John. It's my first uh, tag team interview with you, and uh, thanks for having me. Ryan's, uh, you, uh, you ran the Republican National Committee for six years. Uh, you know our, you know our cities, you know our countries, you know our state, uh, the counties. Uh, and, uh, give us an update, uh, of where do you think we are on the Republican end of the party? And who's, who do you think is going to run, uh, and be part of the finalists? Well, hey, John, good, good. Obviously, that's what everyone's talking about. So, good question. I mean, obviously, I think it's one of these things where you've got about 10 people on the Republican side that are all looking at this. They want to run, but they're looking at President Trump and they're looking at these polls and they're looking at where the, the president is stacking up against the field and the big question is you know is it is it really something that these folks want to take on and really confront uh a candidate that's you know at near 50 55 60% of the vote so they're all looking at that measuring that up and it's going to take an enormous uh effort to be the nominee of our party and especially if you want to run against Donald Trump so I think that's where things are at and why you're actually seeing, I think, a little bit of a slow start on the Republican side of the aisle. I mean, not, not in President Trump's uh, case or, or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, but I think most people six months ago thought that there would be 10 people running by now. It's April, it's in the middle of April. It's going to be May before you know it. And there's only a few people running on the Republican side of the aisle. I think that's a big surprise if you look back six months ago. And it, it seems like some of the people running, they're really running for vice president. They're not really running for for president, uh, like uh, uh, maybe a Tim Scott or or Nikki Haley. Uh, president or Trump uh, has not criticized uh, some of them. Has not criticized Nikki Haley. Does that mean? She's a well. She's a woman. Does that mean she's a, a possibility for a vice presidential candidate? I mean, yeah, it's possible, John. I mean, he hasn't. I mean, people people like the governor a lot in South Carolina. People love Tim Scott. I think that there are some folks running that sort of transcend party orthodoxy, and they're just genuinely liked people. Um, I mean, the big question is, what is Ron DeSantis going to do? Uh, most people think he's going to run. You know, he doesn't, he might, he might not. He might look at it and say, hey, I, I, I don't know if I want to run and get into a battle royal here because on one hand, if he wins, uh, that's going to come at a really big brawl to get to that point. And then that brawl is going to have consequences. And then if he runs and doesn't win, well, then there's going to be a lot of scar tissue there and, it's gonna. It's not gonna come without a price. So he's smart. He's one of the smartest politicians out there. That calculation is very, very tricky. And my guess is that he's sitting and trying to think through this. 
You know, um, I want to ask you about money, too, Reince. Um, and everybody, we are speaking to the former chairman of the Republican National Committee. Also, he's head of the convention, of course, that's going to be there. That is going to be huge, Reince Priebus. You're always right in the thick of it. Um, big money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Well, because you're good, my friend. That's why. Uh, but Trump has raised $20 million since the indictment. Um, that is huge. Does he have – Is it, has it made people – who maybe thought about getting into the race, say, well, maybe not after all, because his, he's been skyrocketing, as you just brought up in the polls, but he's also raising big money. Yeah, you're right about that. I think here's the problem. I mean, the FEC didn't take that case. Uh, the U.S. attorney didn't take the case. The DOJ didn't take the case. So I, for, so what the field the outside of Trump, the, the, the problem for those folks that want to run for president against President Trump is that they've got a situation where universally around the entire party and a small percentage of Democrats are all saying, well, this district attorney in Manhattan is wrong. And anytime, you know, you think about this. So we're, we've spent the last few minutes talking about, talking about this. The folks running against President Trump are trying to make the case to say, okay, I like the president. I think he did a good job, but I think it's time to move forward. We need a different kind of deal for our party and we need to move you know they're trying to make that case but when it came to the indictment they all defended publicly president trump i mean they didn't even try to use any part of that indictment as a separating factor and that's because it's a ridiculous situation but it 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 really illustrates how difficult it's going to be for a candidate to knock off President Trump. It is going to be very, very hard. Absolutely. And, Ryan, before I let you go, huge news coming out of um, Wisconsin not that long ago. The Supreme Court there, uh, the Democrats actually won um, the uh, justice. Uh, that was a four to three majority. What does that say? And it was over sort of the issue of abortion. How much is that going to be a big issue for Republicans? Well, I think messaging is really important on, on abortion, but I think when you lose by 10 or 12, uh, you got a bigger problem than that. I mean, you got a candidate problem, you got a messaging problem. I also think that it's a wake up call to our Republican donors that, um, not to get into weeds on process, but you know, getting better at early vote, absentee ballot voting, all of those boring mechanics. Um, and, and the RNC is doing a good job. This is a matter of a super PAC situation where billionaire donors to super PACs on the Democrat side are focused on process. Our people tend to be focused on candidates, and they don't care who the candidate is. Democrats will vote Biden, no problem. Fetterman, no problem. We'll win with anybody. Yeah, after because Fetterman, they'll vote for anybody. My process. goodness. <laughs> right. They don't care. They don't care. Because they'll focus on process and they'll pay for it. They'll pay for boring registration, voter uh, uh, GOTV, you know, getting out to vote, early vote, absentee ballot voting, data, you know. And, you know, those are the things that we need to, on the super PAC soft money side, on the Republican side, those are the things our people need to focus more on. You know, love the debate, who's going to be the candidate. But I'd love to debate how many hundreds of thousands of new voters did you register this week in these eight battleground states. Not as fun, a little boring, 
but that's how you win. Well, politics are never boring. John and I agree with that part of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, thank absolutely. you, Ron. Anything else you want to tell uh, all Americans? Well, just, hey, we're looking forward to seeing every Republican in Milwaukee in 2024. It's going to be a great time to have a Miller Lite, a brat, and a big piece of Sargento cheese in the Wisconsin summer. Not a Bud Light, right? <laughs> uh, not a Bud Light. You know, I thank God I grew up in Wisconsin. It's Miller Lite all the way. Thank you so much for coming on today, and we'll catch up with you next time you're in town. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Wright. Wow. And joining us now, by the way, as we were talking about Miller Lite and Bud Light Bud there. Bud Light, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Anheuser-Busch. The next step on a banana peel. Yeah, they paid they a big price. Go woke, go broke. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, I'll be talking about later on how I think Ford Motor Cars is stepping on that same banana peel. And you're leading the charge on this, I'm John. I'm going to lead the charge. I love this. Go. This is awesome. We're going to be talking about that later on in the show. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is someone who was one of the early folks throwing his name in for Republican candidate for president of the United States in 2024. He's a successful entrepreneur author of the book Woke Inc. You see him all the time on Fox News. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. And uh, and give us, first of all, your take. I'm curious, Vivek, your thoughts about Anheuser-Busch. And boy, uh, it fits right in with Woke Inc. Boy, did they go woke and they paid a price. That's right. It's just another example of a company that's adopting these toxic, politicized agendas. But it's a broader trend in this country where in this particular case, It was self-defeating because there's some cases where you might see companies adopting a particularly woke policy where maybe they're reaching a customer base that's demanding it. Usually that's not the case, but here it definitely is not the case. This is not the Bud Light customer base. And I think it was not only, uh, I think, alienating to a lot of men who buy Bud Light. I think it's alienating to a lot of women. Dylan Dylan Mulvaney is effectively degrading femininity. And I think that that's insulting to a lot of people. And it's just the latest example of this fixation on a new transgender cult in this country that most people don't agree with, but feel afraid to actually say something about in public. Well, Vivek, I got annoyed last week and I was out at the National Broadcasters Convention and I put my foot down for it. All of a sudden says, oh, there are 2024 cards are not going to have AM radio and maybe not even FM radio. They decided instead of putting in a $200 radio into your car that they used to give it to you for free or for $200, that they rather charge you $9.99 a month so they can charge you every month and create a new revenue stream. Well, I make an executive order. We have a lot of car, we have a lot of companies. We have a lot of cars. I'm going to give an executive order. Nobody will ever buy another Ford car as long as that rule applies in any of my companies. Well, look, I I think it's going to take more people exhibiting leadership across this country. Thank you for sharing that. But I just think that we're going to need more leaders with a spine. And even though I'm running for U.S. president, that's great. But it's going to take really leaders in every sphere of our lives, local governments, state governments, but also non-governments in the private sector to be able to actually speak truth and behave with the spine. And so 
you know, one of the reasons I like talking to you is that I know you're in a position to actually do that. So, now, uh, sir, why are you running for president? You have a very difficult name. Don't you think if you had an easier name to pronounce, you it'll be easier for people to vote for you? What needs to be Bob Ramaswamy? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think so. I look at it a little differently. I think people care about substance. I think people care about how we can take. Look, what have I said? I'm taking the America First agenda further than Donald Trump even did because. I think we can also unite the country while doing it. To put America first, we need to rediscover what America is. And I have lived the full arc of the American dream. My parents came to this country with not a lot of money. And you know what? I went on to found multi-billion dollar companies. That's the American dream. And I think that we can tell, create tell us that about again your for the next generation. Hey, tell us about your success. Nobody knows you. Tell us about your companies. Yeah, so my, my biggest success was a biotech company that I built, Royvent that I built from scratch, actually, in New York City, where I happen to be today for a day that we're in town. You know, this is a company that I built from scratch, led it as CEO for seven years. Five of the medicines that I worked on are FDA-approved products today for a range of diseases, from prostate cancer to a rare genetic disease in children. This is a big part of what actually allowed me to succeed, but I went on to found other companies like Strive Asset Management that competes with BlackRock. But now it's time to actually change our country in the biggest way possible by running for president. That's a big part of why I'm in this race. Well, we wish you a lot of luck. Vivek Ramaswamy, good luck with this. Of course, the author of Woke Inc. and now a Republican candidate for president in the United States. Obviously, living the American dream. Really great to have you here, Vivek. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. you. And uh, let's take a break right now. We're going to go to Lou Dobbs to find out what the heck the, the stock market did today. And when we come back. Melissa DeRosa. Melissa DeRosa, one tough lady. Let's go. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, Rita, we're back. And, uh, you know, we got with us uh, Melissa DeRosa and... Things are happening in Albany, and nobody's really sure 100% what's happening in Albany. But Melissa, she's one tough gal. And Melissa, what's going on? Well, John, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same, which is sort of the last three weeks they've been at a standstill, and that continued today. So essentially, we're now day 17 of the budget being late up in Albany after, you know, under the last minute, my administration, Governor Cuomo's administration, we had 11 years of on-time budgets. We're now into week three of being late on the budget, which practically speaking could end up leading to downgrades from credit agencies on the state's credit. Um, You know, if you don't pass an extender, it means the public employees don't get paid. So those are sort of the practical impacts. The symbolic impact is it just shows Albany is dysfunctional again and that deadlines are sort of irrelevant and that they can't walk and chew gum and get the people's work done. It's their constitutional obligation to deliver a budget by April 1st, and we're 17 days past that. So on the big ticket items, which right now are bail and our housing, which are the two sort of question marks, you know, every couple of days a reporter leaks that there's a tentative deal on bail, and then a couple of days go by and it shows that that's not true. And that's sort of been the seesawing back and forth. And what we've been talking about on your show, John, is, and I've said this, you know, for over a a month and a half now, she's going to get something on bail. It's not hard to get something. The question is going to be, what does she get on bail? Well, and that's the thing, Melissa, it feels like a drop in the bucket, what we're even talking about. It's like semantics, right? 
No, you're exactly right, Rita. At this point, it's looking like the legislature is going to give her ice in winter, and they're going to have to try to put lipstick on a pig and call it a beauty queen. I mean, at this point, it's looking like she's going to get, which I predicted here a month ago, she's going to end up getting, you know, uh, least getting rid of least restrictive just for violent felons, which arguably is already the law. And a lot of people, including my former counsel's office, would say that's already the law. But, you know, some judges claim it needs to be clarified. And so basically she's going to get a clarification on judicial discretion solely on least restrictive standard on bail for just the violent felon. And by the way, uh, Judge Weinberg's got an interesting take on this. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Melissa. Rudy Giuliani was here last night and Rudy and I were discussing this. You know, it all depends on how you define what a a violent felony is. So, for example, if the DA who controls the charging document under charges, then it's not a felony that's violent. Therefore, they still have to use the least restrictive means. So it's a a game they're playing. No, a hundred percent. And and it's really just, you know, they're they're playing with words here. They're going to and the the legislature will say it's a clarification. It's already the law. And, you know, Hochul will try to claim victory. But. To your point, Judge, you know, a couple of days ago, the Times ran a piece about how there are, you know, of the thousands of, of thefts that are going on in New York, the same 300 people or so are responsible for all of them, and it's the recidivism rate. And, you know, this, for example, on the question of what constitutes a violent felony, violent crime or not, certainly that wouldn't. So this will do nothing to address those types of issues. So, again, I think it's it's going to be ice in winter, and then Hochul's going to have to do her damnedest to say, I got a victory because, you know, she tried to act tough and say, I'm going to hold out on the budget. And now it's seven days, 17 days late, and she's really not going to have gotten much in return. But, Melissa, this is Craig Eaton. This is her one opportunity to let everyone in the state, including the Senate chamber and the Assembly chamber, that she's the governor. And she needs to stand up and make sure that she makes this state safe. Now, New York is the only state that doesn't have a dangerousness standard. So why do we need judges? If the judges can't determine that that a a criminal is dangerous and and not entitled to bail, why do we need judges there? Why do we need judges? I mean, this is her opportunity. She needs to stand up and get this done. You looked at Judge Weinberg when you said that. Craig, should I leave the room? No, but this is ridiculous. I mean, when is she going to be the governor and stop being the pansy to everybody else in Albany? The short answer is, Melissa, if they're going to do the right thing, the first thing they would do, make it very simple, give the judge's discretion to hold somebody in who's a threat to public safety. Stop playing the word games. Melissa, you're absolutely right when you say putting lipstick on a pig. You know, they don't even have lipstick on this pig. How's that? And, and you know what's amazing, no, you guys? Right. In the middle of all this, all these crime things are happening. I mean, there's a shooting outside Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty's New York City office. And then did you see the video? Everybody is talking about this today is this attack on a police officer, a female police officer is just standing there doing her job. A guy comes over, clocks her on the head with a glass bottle. Thank goodness she's going to be OK, but she's in stable condition. He had 11 prior arrests. I mean, how is any of this going to make New York City? safe but you know what it's crazy it's crazy it's so it's so crazy and as we talked about on this show back in the fall you know sarah feinberg good friend of mine used to be the head of the mta was punched in the face standing you know on sixth avenue and 22nd at three o'clock in the afternoon broad daylight another friend of mine 8 p.m two sundays ago was held up with a switchblade put to his neck at said give me your wallet and your phone on the one train in manhattan at 8 p.m at night and too much of this anecdotal where people know the people who are being impacted, where it feels like a return to the bad old days. 
But the problem is, to, to your all of your point, you know, she is the governor, but she's a governor with no strategy and a governor, you know, that I, I think is sort of lacking in substance. It's, yep. You yep. can't just get these things done because you're the governor and say, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. You have to organize. You have to have a press strategy, a political strategy. You've got to make sure that these members are feeling some pain, that you've got carrots and sticks. But- that you can work with them and use your pressure points and leverage. And my fear is she just thought to herself, well, I'm the governor and I said, I'm going to get this done. And if I make it late and I hold out and I look tough and I just keep saying, I'm not going to close the budget, they're going to fold. And that's just not the way the world works, particularly when you've got super majorities in both houses. But, but you know what, Melissa, there's another thing that's not even on the table. Now the discovery reform, uh, you know, the, the exactly criminal, right. first of all, the criminals have no fear. They, they know I could go out and I could do 11 crimes, 15 crimes, 20 crimes. It's going to be a revolving door. But discovery reform is such a dangerous, dangerous law because if I if I get if I'm a victim okay, or I'm a witness to a, to a serious crime and I know that the the uh, defendant knows who I am and know where I live and all my contact information, I'm going to think twice about wanting to testify or be a witness in that criminal trial. I don't want I don't want the Crips or the gangs to know where I live. So you know what? She needed to go into this budget negotiation and say, I have two things on the table and they're non-negotiable. And she didn't do it. It, She's got no spine. Well, and, you know, she put discovery on the table sort of in the 11th hour here. And I think that the legislature, again, is reacting in a way that is like, you know, who do you think you are? You can't put this on the table in the 11th hour and think we're going to blink. This is a real conversation. It requires real policy, per, you know, perspective around the table. You can't just drop the Senate at the last minute. And, and again, it goes back to the pay raise. It goes back to LaSalle. It, go, it, it all is different data points that are sort of on the same plane, which is she doesn't know how to strategically run that office and use the levers of power to move things in order to get them yep. to where they need to be. 100% and right. I just, yep. and it's just the pattern is not disrupting. You know, we saw with Rowan Wilson, Brad Hoyleman, Mike Gianaris, two Senate Democrats said, if you give us Rowan Wilson, you'll get them confirmed. What does she do? She puts up Rowan Wilson. It's just, she's, you know, she doesn't, he's, he's the new chief judge nominee, who's actually, I think, being voted on for confirmation right now, you know, after they screwed her on LaSalle and, and sort of smacked her around for a few weeks on her last chief judge pick. So, you know, I just, the larger point is, I think the legislature is in charge. This budget is not going to be done anytime soon. I would predict at least another week, maybe more. And, you know, the other conversation going on in the background is housing, where she said that there had to be these housing mandates, which the suburban members have just wholly rejected. Again, no strategy, no sort of path to victory for her there. And it looks like that's going to end up getting tossed out as well. And so, you know, we'll we'll see where we are in another week to 10 days, but I don't think it's going to be all that different from where we stand today. Wow, very sad. That's a sad state for New York. That's the bottom line. We're all shaking our heads, Melissa. Thank you. Melissa, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. And uh, let's take a break right now. We're going to come back. And by the way, I'm going to be talking to you. I want to hear about your trip. You just came back. I'm going to be debriefing. I get to grill John on his big success with uh, on AM radio. You are leading the charge. And also, we're talking to Charlie Gasparino, too. And let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. 
as we are talking with now John Katsimatidis. John, you have been back from a big, big trip. Uh, you've been like all over the globe, I think, in the last I've been all over the place. You have been touring. You were first. By the way, we were all very jealous because first you were in Nashville. Tell us about that. We went Sinatra. down to Nashville Friday night. It was me and, uh, uh, and Margo and, uh, uh, Joe Piscopo. And the Sinatra family, Tina Sinatra was there, and and uh, Sinatra Enterprises, Charlie Pignoni, uh, was giving a big party, a dinner party for uh, for uh, all their friends. They opened up a new Sinatra club in Nashville. How cool is so that? So I thought that was really peachy keen. <laughs> did you run in? Did you run into any uh, New Yorkers who said uh, a lot of New Yorkers? <laughs> And uh, we uh, went down there, and uh, it was great. It was uh, you look Sinatra music is never going out of style. Never. Joe Piscopo sang a few songs, and awesome. he always does a great job. He does. But uh, it was an adventure. Uh, uh, Friday night dinner in Nashville. Not a bad. Nashville's day. a great place. I even went to uh, uh, Anthony Scotto's restaurant. That's right. That's he opened up Anthony out. Scotto from Fresco's opened great up idea. a new restaurant. And he was there, right? And, and he was there. That's right. And uh, he was working uh, very hard, and he was very busy, and and it was a, a, a great a great event. Was it as good as the New York Fresco? They're both great. All right, that's the right I, answer. I, I think I think Nashville is like the new New Orleans because people are going there. All so the time, hot. all my kids, their yeah. friends are going there for parties on weekends. It's amazing. So, and then by the way, Lucky and, John went to Vegas then afterwards. Yeah. Well, no, no, then I came back to New York. Oh, that's right. That's to, right. That's the right. midnight mass on Saturday night for cause Greek Easter, and then the breaking the fast the Milos to three o'clock in the morning. Then Sunday night, I went to Las Vegas for the National Broadcasters. Uh, and boy, did you go, by the way, John Katsimatidis, you just put out a big press release. <laughs> this is huge. Everybody's talking about it. You are leading the charge to save AM radio. Tell us about it, because well, this is a big crap. deal. And I spoke to that uh, the guy running for president about it, too. Yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy. And we came out with a new commercial that we played before. What's that commercial? Here's former Vice President Mike Pence about AM radio. Making sure that these new electric vehicles include FM and AM as well as all the other new technology, I think, is a real priority for the free flow of information in America. Write your representative today. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Sign the petition. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. And look what happened to Anheuser-Busch. Yes. There's nobody. They're down $5 billion in sales. Nobody wants a Budweiser right now. Well, Ford. Ford makes an announcement. They're not going to put any more AM or FM radios or, or whatever in their cars. So I made an announcement. None of my companies are going to buy any more Ford cars. So anybody out there. We're yeah. clapping. You know, Bravo. The heck with them. But you know what? I mean, these, pe- these people, the, the listeners, everybody, you know, I have 3,000 channels in my car. I listen to 770. Before 770, I listened to 1010. Yeah. People well, want this radio. They want AM radio. Absolutely. We got Charlie Gasparino on, and he went through the experience yeah. of Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. And now, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Ford has made an announcement. They don't want to put any AM or FM radios in the cars. What, what say you? 
Well, they want you to pay for Sirius? Maybe they got a deal with Sirius? They, they want you to pay $9.99 a month instead of giving you a $200 radio or a free radio. And you need us for yeah. emergency purposes, too, Charlie. I mean, it's for, you know, it's a, it's the emergency system. There's a real reason. Even Democrats on Capitol well, Hill are saying keep it. Well, I mean, you know, don't buy the car. I know there has to be a capitalism aspect here. Uh, if you know they, if they Ford, remember we used to say uh, about Ford, they were so horrible. People used to say found on road dead because the cars used to blow up. <laughs> I never heard that. I, like I that. haven't heard that either. I like that, but we could use that, John. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> one, Craig. What do you think? <laughs> what, what, what was it? I, I missed it. Found, found on road dead. Found on road dead. Found on road dead. Cars were kind of crappy, and they blew up. You know, they, you know, the impact of three miles an hour or something like that. They, they, they've approved them since then. Um, but my point is, you know, the reason why they approved them is because people stopped buying Ford, and uh, I think that's kind of what should happen here. If, if uh, now, if every if every automaker is going to collude to not put AM radio, radios in the cars, AM FM, well, then that's called collusion, and the, the Justice Department should, should clearly look at that. But at some point, the free market has to kick in. You can just buy a different car. Well, you know, so I already made a, an executive yet. decision. Uh, we may have, we may have, I don't know how many cars we have. In all our companies, over a thousand company cars. You know what I said? No more Fords. And by the way, our, our producer has a new way. saying for Ford, fix what? or repair daily. found on road dead. But you're right. The market does need to speak. And the market spoke loudly. Also, by the way, on Anheuser-Busch, they lost $6 billion, as you know, Charlie. Well, you know, in market capitalization, it's market value. And then it bounced back a little bit. I mean, here's the thing with Anheuser-Busch. You know, because of this story, I've become a beer reporter lately. And, uh, you know, which I it's not my expertise. But, you know, this is a company that has a real real problem. Now, they were bought by something called InBev. You know, about 15 years ago, I want to say, uh, they're owned 40%. So the majority of uh, shareholders is a private equity firm called 3G. Um, and from what I understand, you know, they, they've been making their numbers. They're EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, which is kind of a broad measure of profitability. They've been making those numbers based on cutbacks and, you know, a lot of streamlining, particularly in the marketing department. <laughs> you could, this is what I'm hearing from inside the company. So you could see how something like this might flip through that you don't have the, the right checks and balances. Um, I'm also hearing this was a, you know, a dry run. It was not you know, meant to be something that was going to go national. They were testing it out. But either way, it's pretty stupid. What a and terrible I, test. I understand. I understand that they broke out the, the, the uh, profitability of regular cars versus electric cars, and the, the loss from the electric vehicles was $3 billion. But they said, don't worry, we'll fix it. I, I, you got me on that one. Would, would you help me out with this? What is this, what is this Ford, with, uh, Ford has broken out. <laughs> Ford has broken out how much money they, uh, they, lost, uh, they lost on electric vehicles uh, in 2022. So they're saving oh, yeah, money on radios now. That's what it is. They're trying yeah. to make up yeah. that loss. And right now, electric vehicles, as you know, um, are it's like six to seven percent of the marketplace. Um, as John just, was talking about that, how crazy maybe, this mandate! But, but yeah, and just think that maybe they'll, they'll in order to save the brand, they'll get that Dylan Mulvaney in the uh, 
in the uh, Budweiser commercials to drive a Ford. <laughs> Put her behind the wheel. Driving a Ford with a butt in her hand. Driving That's right. <laughs> but, but Charlie, yeah, I think you, you were onto something. There's got to be some relationship now. There's got to be some relationship between them and Sirius or XM or something going on here because yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous for them to to a- aggravate and, and anger all of all of the listeners of talk radio. There's billions of people out there that want talk radio when they're in their car. Unless they're well, woke, you know, maybe I, maybe it's maybe it's a woke thing. Yeah, different yeah. that because talk I, radio skews uh, conservative. That you know these these wokesters that run the marketing and the sort of planning departments of these big companies are are, are screwing uh, you know fifty percent of the country. They have Dylan Mulvaney so running the marketing for them. That could be it. But the real <laughs> question funny. becomes Listen, the marketing departments. John is a longtime businessman, so he has supermarkets, and his supermarkets aren't politically motivated. He wants everybody to buy steaks or whatever the hell, you know, you sell, you buy in supermarkets. Think about it, like these companies, where they're going with this. They literally are creating ad campaigns and business models designed to, to, to hate at least 50% of the country, maybe even more. Well, I mean, it's truly. really the most bizarre. In, 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 the, in the name of some weird social justice movement, it's so bizarre. It's Richard Weimer, Charlie. But that's exactly right. When did you get in the business of politics when you're supposed to be in the business of marketing your product? I don't I mean, understand like, that. You know, it's like these restaurants that see, like, a Republican sitting there having dinner with his kids, and the, and the restaurateur goes up to him and says, get out of here. I mean, these people are nuts. I mean, they're taking politics to some weird level, and I think it's, it's about time people just stop it. You know, I just, you know, just, you know, Tell me beer. You know, don't preach to me about with men in bras, wearing bras. You know, I mean, just the whole thing is, is just is so bizarre. It is. It is all over the place. Well, Charlie Gasparino, we love you. We appreciate you. And really great to have you here today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Keep fighting for okay, America. Guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. We love you. And great to have you back, John. You've been traveling all over the place. Great to have you back. I am back. And love that you are doing the fight for AM radio. Bravo, bravo, John Katsimatidis. And what do we stand for? Truth, justice, Justice and the American American way. way. Reporting here from the Daily Planet (laughs) Building.